Hello and welcome to the episode 190, R&R vs. Phantasm. Yes, it's yet another franchise episode, and yes, Mr. Lee Beckman is returning. And you may be asking yourself, didn't we just do the Leprechaun franchise? Are you guys just doing the Phantasm franchise to sort of clean your palate, sort of cleanse the palate after the ups and maybe greater downs of the Leprechaun franchise, and you might be onto something, but I was planning on holding off on dropping this episode, but circumstances have come up, and maybe if you're listening to the show, you can guess what that might be, which uh, precluded my ability to bank it as often, as much as I would have liked to, so you gotta deal with more Larry and Beckman talking about a cult horror franchise, in this case, Don Coscarelli's franchise. Phantasm. Uh, it's, it's got a cult audience, people have strong feelings about it, and we're going to get into it with our usual course language and spoilers for the five Phantasm films. As usual, you can get feedback to me at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And you can check out the website at rankinreview.ca because... I'm in Canada. Let's talk about Phantasm. Alright, believe it or not, Rank and Review listeners, Mr. Lee Beckman is back on Rank and Review. And believe it or not, Rank and Review listeners, Lee Beckman and your host and Rounded Canadian Larry Parsons are going to take on another franchise this episode. It is the Phantasm franchise. And yes, there's only five entries thus far into the Phantasm series. But, I mean, I don't feel like we need to apologize for this. Uh, We did eight Leprechaun movies. We did... We did nine Nightmare on Elm Street, so we're allowed to do five Phantasms. Everybody else can just just suck it up. It's a free podcast, people. You know what? Everyone else can just sit 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 right down. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, um, what's your relationship with Phantasm? You uh, you offered this as one that you'd like to do. Was it like just one that you hadn't been that familiar with, or one that you wanted to revisit? Uh well definitely one I, I, a, a little bit of one of wanting to uh, to revisit 
it's such an odd franchise because it's not really a slasher franchise, which was sort of a lot of the, you know, run of your mill, go lucky. Um, well, a lot of horror franchises were like, was at least that. This has a sort of, well, I don't want to say fluid narratives. No, I would not say that at all, Lee. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's definitely a universe. <laughs> so it's just an odd, it's really out of, really out of the horror movie franchises. It's probably the oddest. Well, and it's, it, some of it's on purpose and some of it is accidental. I've reviewed the original Phantasm before and okay. I think that like that was kind of, you know, it was a low budget horror movie. It was a little bit slapdash. There's a little bit of an amateurish handmade quality to it. I say all of this in a complimentary way. I mean, you can have all of that and still be a good uh, fine feature film. But in it, in my humble opinion, part of the intangible quality of the Phantasm series is that even the creator itself, Don Cascarelli, uh, beyond this sort of vague idea that we're all trying to beat death and we can't, yeah. I doubt he could tell you every corner of the Phantasm universe. It's yeah. almost more of a vibe than it is a plot. The interesting thing to me about Phantasm is that typically I don't connect with movies like that. Typically I'm much more disciplined toward character and story. Like, tell me a yarn, unspool this story. Uh, if it's got familiar elements, uh, use them well or surprise me with them. Um, this is much closer to this dream logic, stream of consciousness, um, crazy narrative. Um, and, uh, I think in his sort of let going of that, some of the horror and the abstract kind of works in a way that I, I maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but I think like Phantasm, the, especially the first two, work for me the way a lot of David Lynch movies work for David Lynch fans. Yeah. And that uh, I, I just enjoy the wild darkness of the imagination almost more than anything else the series has to offer you know that that's that that's a fair compliment and criticism yes yeah but um, I, I mean it's also i have to admit lee a brush of fresh air to be talking about this coming off the back of the leprechaun franchise <laughs> I'll do respect to our little green pal. I mean, uh, I... You almost seem... You almost sound bitter, I think. Well, I just feel like there's a lot more room for exploration and play. There's a lot more potential to this series. Yeah. For that reason, I think that I'm going to be harder on it in some ways. Okay, no, and that's fair. Um, and I think we have more of an auteur at work. Uh, except for the last one, I believe they're all directed by Coscarelli. Am I wrong about that? Uh, you are not wrong. Um, so, uh, it, as much as I've just said the villain is chaotic and all over the place, it is at least all from one brain. It's yeah. not in one of these too many cooks types of situations. Yeah. Or, or just what this next guy's interpretation is, which we bumped into in some of the other franchises we've talked about. There is a uniformity to the crazy world of Phantasm, I guess. Yeah, yeah. See, I can't tell if Don Coscarelli is either the Andy Warhol of the horror cinematic universe 
or just really some sort of odd madcap genius. And I say this with all due respect to Andy Warhol. Well, I don't think Cascarelli's like necessarily thinks of himself as a horror guy. No, he doesn't. Um, like he's a filmmaker, but his films are all distinct. Like they might not all have horror elements to them, but they're all sort of fiercely originally, you know, Coscarelli joints. You can sort of, you know, he's coming from his own point of view. Apparently, he made a movie for kids, and there was a scene where he had a jump scare in it. Yeah. And the big that was the biggest reaction when the theater full of people saw his movie was the jump scare. And he thought, yeah. huh, maybe I should try a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's where Phantasm starts. Just a guy, a camera, and friends and family of his, literally people he knew in his life, made yeah. a movie. And yeah. for, what, 25 years later, four sequels later? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, no. No, he was 22 years old when he made Phantasm. Yeah. That, that really makes me, like, you know, quick to shame. Right? Well, it also yeah. makes me forgive a lot of, even more so, some of my narrative issues. I mean, I don't want to get into reviewing the first film, but uh, there is such a, yeah, like, he's figuring it out. And you yeah, can sort no. of tell. No, like, it, it does even feel very much written like a very imaginative 22-year-old. Clearly first draft, right? <laughs> One draft? <laughs> Quite possibly, but then at the same time, like, he does... There is a sort of follow-through narrative with this film. Like, you, you won't... if. You're not going to get lost, like, 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 let's say, like, 2001 or, you know, Jacob's Ladder, which this film has a lot more in common with. Yeah. So. So, I mean, I have my main memory, to be honest, from when I was a kid is of Phantasm 2 and me watching that because it aired on Super Channel when I was right around the right age. I think it came out like 88, 89, something like that. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailers as a kid, but had never even heard of like the first one. So that was my entry point. And uh, the first film of the series, I believe I rented from the library and I thought it was kind of when I first saw it. But again, I was like 14 or 15 years old. And it was one of those ones that every time I've watched it, it's kind of improved upon my viewing. In fact, for this viewing, for the first time, I watched the uh, restored version. Uh, yeah, it, it sounded so beautiful. And I, looks, I it looks and it. sounds much more professional in its restored version. There was something rickety about the presentation even of the earlier version of the film. So uh, yeah. if, if you have the option to watch the original Phantasm remastered, I would encourage you to make that choice. No, 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 definitely in sort of stereo surround. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, it, I mean, it also, with the first one, I'm surprised that it really, like, when they said it was a hit, it was a hit for an independent movie. I yeah. think globally it, it, it saved it somewhat, but Don, like, Don Coscarelli at the start of his career was being compared, like, he, there was this, you know, brat pack of Steven Spielberg and um, Robert Zemeckis and whatnot, like, and he was included in one of them. And Well, there's yeah. something about a filmmaker that has a distinct vibe to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the connective tissue between Beastmaster, Bubba Hotep, and John Dies at the end is, yeah. but somehow they're all made by the same guy, and somehow you can feel it. Yeah. 
he did do another studio film. It was sort of like a survival thriller. Survival Quest. Pardon? Survivor Quest. Yes. Yeah. With a young... Ah, she was in Being John Malkovich. Catherine Keener. Oh, yeah? And Lance Henriksen. I don't remember Catherine Keener being in the movie. I saw that movie again probably around the same time I was... Late 80s, right? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a long time ago. Well, I had a guilty... uh, guilty pleasure with Beastmaster it's it's hey it clinks and cracks along now but if you're in that sort of 1980s barbarian kind of vibe it does float the bill well and again it's low budget but it's ambitious it's really going for a big scale fantasy and it has no business trying this you know this is, yeah, they, yeah. they have garage sale budget but they're they're going at it like they're Walmart for some reason yeah, and you just love them for it. But is there anything you wanted to say about the Phantasm franchise generally just before we get started? Uh, no. Well, it, it, like, I, I think I've already let it out of the bag that, like, it's just this really bizarre stew <laughs> of a lot of other horror movies of the time. I don't know. And I've said, that, and I've already said too much. It's. I, I'm glad it exists, and I'm I'm glad Don Coscarelli exists. That's that's I think all I'm, yeah all I'm gonna say. Oh, also I remember what I was gonna ask you. So Coscarelli has basically said even like with the first one that this was his sort of examination of death and what would happen. And since the tall man is essentially his sort of symbolic version of death, are Mike and Reggie really the heroes of the story? Because well, death is really sort of an apolitical, you know, being. It just, you know, it's going about... Well, yes, you know, death uh, is still inevitable, and to fight it is fruitless, but they're not necessarily fighting. Like, they're fighting for at least whatever our version of death is, right? In yeah. the universe of Phantasm, uh, like he says in Phantasm 2, you don't go to heaven, you come to me. We're, we're made into yeah, slaves, yeah. right? Yeah. So to be prevented that fate, yeah, I think that would put them in a heroic perspective. But if they're actually trying to play the, you know, the infamous chess game with death himself, you cannot win, right? Yeah. It's the great curse of being alive. We are, we are born to be, you know, full of thirst and hunger to protect our lives. And the yeah. one guarantee that our life offers us is that someday we're going to die. <laughs> yeah. So, so you think- cannot win. And I think phantasm is real about that. Yeah. I do find it interesting that when he first made it, he saw it as a one-off. Absolutely he did. And he yeah. said, you know, the tall man wins, death wins, the end. That, yeah. Like, those were his words in the interview I saw of him. So, like, yeah. uh, really, he, he intended this as a one and done, but it's become, like, the main thrust of, of his career. He's made as many phantasm movies as anything else, really. Yep. Yep. So, uh, Lee and I are going to go a week at a time again, uh, more or less. We're going to do the first two now because I, 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 I failed you last week and I apologize, Beckman. But uh, we're going to work our way through all five of the Phantasm films. Thanks for your ears, people. I'm just going to go up there and take a look around. Nobody's going to see it. What about Mom and Dad? They're up there, too.
I've been waiting for you. But I just can't figure out why. Why they're taking these bodies and pushing them down to have some Crush them. I'm sorry, Daddy. Don Cascarelli's Phantasm. Um, I believe I mentioned in the introduction that I finally watched the uh, sort of restored, remastered version of it. And yep. the time and technical energy they put into that does the movie a great deal of favors. It yep. looks yep. and sounds so much less amateurish. And it's like, it still has its creaks and moans. Make no mistake. You can still tell there's a lot of first-time actors and they have, you know, one or two takes at best to get these things out. Yep. And yes, there are lines of dialogue that just burn my ears. <laughs> but there are there like I've said before when I talked about Phantasm, it's the vibe of the movie. It's the yeah. energy of the movie and it's the dream logic of the movie. How you're never confident about where you are. It's yeah. like what we're being told is somebody's memory of a dream. <laughs> and yeah. uh, there are gaps and there are plot points missing and yeah. characters aren't properly introduced and characters come into the story and leave the story very yeah. recklessly. Yeah punctuated with shocking moments of horror and violence. Yep. The critical part of my brain, the sort of English major part of my brain says, this is just a mess of ideas. Yep. But the other part of my brain says, there's a lot of really good ideas here. In fact, yep. enough of them that I like the movie. Enough yep. of them that the vibe of the movie seems to cook in my brain, and I kind of appreciate it more with each yep. subsequent viewing. So... Uh, I, I've been here before, I'm here again. I remain a fan of Phantasm, and it just seems to keep growing in my esteem. Are you here to talk me down? No, I'm not going to talk you down. In fact, I'm going to call and raise you. Um, Phantasm is a fever dream of a movie. You will go mad trying to figure out the logic in Phantasm. Like, as you mentioned earlier, characters quickly die without pause, and some come back without explanation. And there are countless scenes where people are waking up from dreams so if, if like if, if that makes you angry leave now yeah. <laughs> like, like and then there's also like interdimension doorways and more and you can fight the movie on this or you can just accept it the choice is yours yeah somewhere david lynch <laughs> laughing well but, i was gonna say like i have this reputation for being a little bit snobby about quote-unquote art house horror yeah. And I think, like, I, although Phantasm's never been treated as such, it, it it does owe as much to the sort of Argento kind of art art horror as it does to anything else in its oeuvre. I mean, it, it's ahead of Nightmare on Elm Street. It is kind oh, yeah. of like Nightmare on Elm Street meets early David Lynch. Yeah. But, uh, again, the horror aesthetic helps it. And there is sneakily, somehow, vaguely a kind of story that... It doesn't get set into concrete place until the second movie, but the more you watch it, the more you can sort of figure out why scenes are happening. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as you're confused, you're like you, your brain is constantly stimulated either with really bizarre imagery or just the idea that you really don't know where the story is going next, but you don't care. You're you're enjoying it that much. Um, it's also shameless, and you can hate this or not. What it rips off, I mean, homages <laughs> from like Frank Herbert's Dune. Right. Uh, to like, and their jaw was. I don't care what other people say. Like, come on. Well, here's the thing they were in production at the same time as Star Wars. So if their jaw was, somebody had behind the scenes info on George Lucas's set. Phantasm is 79, is it not? But they were making it around the same time. It took them a while to get the film made and distributed. Okay. Um, uh, I've heard that complaint. Uh, and yeah, they have the same sort of Jawai little like little brown bathrobe things. But yeah. once we see what's underneath that, they're not Jawas. But yes, I suppose superficially there's Jawas. Well, I'm just gonna jump in and just talk plot because we've been in almost five minutes and we haven't talked plot. <laughs> Fair enough, you know, you know, guide on Macduff. Um, so. It's kind of one of the interesting things about the movie is that it's it's unclear about who our main character is for the, the first portion of the movie. It ends up, I think, being Mike uh, eventually. This yeah. this kid who's already suffered a lot of losses in his family is uh, completely locked into this relationship with his older brother and yeah. basically spends his day stalking his brother, following him around, trying to live vicariously through him. And this includes yeah. going to a local funeral and spying on his brother, uh, having sex in a graveyard. But yeah. peripherally, because Mike is living a life, quote, in the shadows, he ends up exposing himself to things that he wasn't meant to see. Uh, little dwarf creatures running around in the, in the graveyard and yeah. this opposing Angus Scrim tall man performing feats that no one human being should be able to do and doing yeah. so quite casually when not being observed. Yes. So little Mike knows something's up and he knows that, you know, between his, you know, issues and, you know, his strange behavior, uh, it's going to be hard to convince people that what he's seeing is legit. And yes. then there's the question in his mind and the audience is what he's seeing legit. Yeah, that's sort of the springboard of the plot. If there actually is one, to be fair, in this movie. Oh, no, there's a plot. There's a plot like it. You can, I think, like I said, even the casual viewer c can follow the story. They'll they'll just be sort of angry at a lot of decisions the scripts make. But you'll be, if, if that angers you, I hopefully it will be counterbalanced by what's going to show you stuff you haven't seen before. Yeah. Of course, yeah. most famously, this little sphere, this ball, uh, basically that came out of a dream. Talk about dream logic. Coscarelli had a dream. He was running down this long hallway being pursued by this little ball. Yep. He didn't know what would happen if it caught him, but he had the sense that nothing good. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, say what are you... It, like, it, they're never really explained properly, like, their purpose and <laughs> why these are the best things to, to go about, the, like, weird security devices. But yep. you haven't seen that before. These little spheres fly around, and they try and spike you in the head, and they drill into your brain and just spurt... Your, yeah. your your brain's all over the floor. And 
it's uh it's very cinematic it's very strange like no one could have predicted that no one saw that scene and said yeah totally saw that coming <laughs> yeah no 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 i mean there is a lot of originality at the same time it does walk a fine line between camp and avant-garde cinema so i yeah like and you can say that a little like a, a, a sort of a, like the majority of coscarelli's work but I think that's also part of his genius. <laughs> He's kind of created in, in my mind, the, the perfect midnight movie. And I don't think he in support of you asking any kind of hard questions of his movie. He's like, go with it or don't. Are you watching yeah. this movie? Just watch yeah. the movie. <laughs> like, uh, uh, like after a point again, and I've said this about any movies, but if you, it becomes foolish to fight it, you just have to let the weirdness wash over you, yeah. and then think about it and let it sort of like. Maybe that makes sense now. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe I'll have to watch it again and see see if the pieces fit better. Yeah. And uh, for that reason, it becomes kind of a more rewatchable, interesting film. Yeah. And I do love that it does manipulate like the two parts of the brain where like one second you're clutching your sweater from fright and anticipation, and the next minute you're laughing your your little butt off at sort of just the bizarre little situations or even scenes. Well, and uh, that nightmare. Of, vision thing where Mike goes from the grave to his bed to the grave to his bed and there's all those creatures around him. Yeah. That, I think, still holds up as being genuinely scary. Yeah. I I don't know how much of this movie I find, like, nail-bitingly scary. I more find it interesting and, like, distinct and original. Yeah. But that moment is definitely scary. And, like, the sphere moment is definitely original. And, um... Yeah, the that moment where the tall man walks past the ice cream truck and he gets yeah. hit by that blast of cold air and it it, it sort of like in, freezes him for a second, like yeah. he reacts to it. Yeah. The the weird hints of this uh, inhumane uh, unhumanity, if that's the right word. The inhumanity, yeah. Yeah. I I just also love the balance of really quirky humor that he follows his eldest brother Jody and watches him make love, a really perverted scene, and all of a sudden gets scared off by, the, we'll call them dwarves, I guess, out of respect. Yeah. Uh, and he comes running running across the scene as his brother just continues to make love to, in essence, the tall man himself, which is also just more bizarre. <laughs> in a graveyard. And again, like the none of that scene makes sense in its isolated pieces. Yeah, yeah. I do it they also I also love it when filmmakers do this when they start their movie in complete black and then bring up the sound Spielberg does it both with Jurassic Park and uh, Jaws and it's it, it's just a great way to sort of settle your brain down and activate the hearing senses which is you know really gets the imaginary juices flowing I love when filmmakers do that and that's how he starts Phantasm Especially with a really cool acid jazz score. I'm gonna oh, the synthy kind of like phantasm theme is very jalo to me. Again, I go back to the Argento Bava influences here. Yeah. But I am going to mention the, the, the score by Fred Myro and Malcolm Seagrave. It is this sort of like acid jazz score that mails within, I was going to say Gothic synth style. I was going to mention more Carpenter, but you can definitely mention the Goblins and Argento as well. It's definitely of that vein. Well, and I've heard lists of it as far as like horror soundtracks that you can listen to by itself and just be as engaged by it. It's not necessarily 
uh, uh, reliant on the film to, to it stands alone as good music. For some reason, I sort of you know reference yeah, I, I sort of connect it with uh, the score to Hereditary. Um, well, I forget the composer's name right now, but he works with Ari Aster quite a bit. But that score and this really have, a, to, to me, sort of have connected tissue a lot. They somehow make jazz scary, and they make certain instruments I never thought could provide fear scary, and I, I applaud that. So we've been focus. I, I like the score too. We've been we've been focusing on the positives, but I think we need to be real. Okay. Uh, there is some negatives here. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think some of the acting is wonky. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I think some of the writing is janky. <laughs> sure. It's not just like that, like the, the, the scenes don't make sense or the order doesn't make sense or is this a dream, is this not a dream? Like, yeah. what's that line when he's complaining about uh, all the weird things going on? Are you sure it wasn't just that retard from up the street? Yeah. Yeah. About, yeah. I'm going to say, a third of the things that come out of Reggie's mouth in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Not working yeah. for me. Uh, yeah. I, Don Coscarelli is trying to slowly mold this ash-like figure out of this Reggie Bannister. And, yeah. uh, uh, like, we'll talk to it as his character progresses. But yeah. if that's the case, this is very definitely the meek, embarrassing version of Ash from Evil Dead 1. Like, he has not acquired cool to me yet. And no, that's no, if no, he no, ever let, really, let, truly let, does. Let's be clear. Reggie is a creep. Yeah. He's this creepy older person who probably still likes to hang around high school in this small town. No, he, and, he sells ice cream as an excuse to hang out with the youngins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it, I'm sort of I'm glad where they take the Reggie character as the series goes along, they do write by him making him a sort of Ashley J. Williams-style action hero, but he does not have the charm of Ashley. No. <laughs> he no. doesn't, but... No. That's, a, that's a tall order to ask of anyone, to be fair. Um, yeah. And the other bad writing issue is the absolute vanishing of Michael's older brother in the third act <laughs> of the movie. Yeah, that one was poorly timed. Like, it just feels like that actor suddenly was unavailable, so they just very roughly unplugged him from the movie. And, like, you can feel it. Like, oh, no, your brother died in a car accident. You've just been dealing with shit. What? Uh, even in a movie that had been narratively kind of all over the place, that felt abrupt and, and it, it jarring, you know? Well, and it comes so like it comes as the climax. Yeah, it's 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 really part of the denouement, and then we have this sort of shocker, you know, evil wins ending. Yeah. So the the, the emotional payoff for the viewer, you're just like, what? And when you when at the end, as much as it has that famous big jump scare at the end, um, you, it's not so much like, uh, well, it's satisfying, but you you're also wondering, well, what did I see? Like, what was real and what wasn't that I watched in this last hundred minutes or so of my life? Yeah. And again, generally speaking, if you're going to do one of these it's all a dream things, yeah, you really got to fucking earn it. I typically don't go for it. I mean, every now and then they'll pull it out, but generally speaking, it's not my jam. Um, but again, I think all of the pluses kind of overtake the flaws. 
but I just didn't want to, you know, give the impression that it was a perfect piece of horror cinema. It is, it does have its rugged charm and it is handmade and it is amateurish. And one of the things that I love about the movie that hits me in the feels is that movies like this don't exist and won't exist anymore. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of really good homemade movies out there. Believe you me, I like to think I made one yeah. that just languish because there's no fucking movie stars in it. Well, not only that, but there's not a lot of movie theaters open right now. Yeah, but I mean, they're not looking for some, you know, lo-fi, uh, you know, outsiders to make a successful indie horror movie. Like, yeah. no one's looking for that. Yeah, that's true. I, I, you know, the platforms like YouTube have definitely erased it. Yeah. Where, yeah. So, Bob, your uncle, who you know wants to you know be a film director, gets to play around on YouTube. Arguably, the last time it happened would be what Paranormal Activity. Yep. And even that guy, he was an industry movie in Los Angeles guy. Like he, he yeah, managed. Yeah, been around for a while, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, but the idea that, you know, some guy can get a bunch of his friends and family together and make a movie with enough imagination that it overcomes all of its flaws and finds an audience. Those yeah. movies are gone. They're gone. Yeah. And for cool. that, I think, you know, let's celebrate Phantasm all the more. Yeah. I also love the scene where Mike is trying to convince Jody, uh, you know, of all the tall men and all the strangers that things are not what it's what it seems <laughs> and he has the, that severed finger and in every other movie when he opened the box the finger would be gone but not in phantasm no he's there <laughs> and he goes okay yeah and is completely convinced that his brother everything coming out of his mouth is completely true yeah. he just accepts everything and i love it well and again for a lot of people for me that's what it takes what what is it going to take for me to believe that your house is haunted you can yeah. tell me all the stories of all the stuff that you saw but honestly yeah. it will be the time where i turn that corner and i see that ghost yeah. oh yeah you got me your house is haunted <laughs> good enough on phantasm I, th I i think so i think so but i also found him The tall man. Phantasm 2 is to Phantasm what Evil Dead 2 is to <laughs> Evil Dead. Um, they got a bigger budget. Yep. They had a little bit of studio behind them. And yep. uh, there were pluses and minuses to that. The plus was that the production values went through the roof. 
Yeah. The minus is, at least according to Coscarelli, but it might end up being a good thing for the franchise, was that they kind of insisted that the plot be a little bit more tangible in this yep. movie, as far as it being there at A, B, and C. Uh, characters with a goal, a beginning, middle, and end. Um, yep. So it, it was going to be less free-flowing out there than the first Phantasm. It was much more of a focus sort of quest road movie leading to this confrontation of vengeance. Yep. And uh, so he was saddled. He had to recast Michael. He wanted to use the same actor, but he was forced to recast Michael. And yep. he was forced, like I said, to make this more narratively focused. Yeah. And what that did, because I'm fairly sure this was the first Phantasm that I saw, was made the first Phantasm movie make more sense, having seen the second one first. I understood what the inter- the, the other dimension was, and the, the crushed war people were actually corpses mined out of our cemeteries, made into these like slaves that could do their toil in these high gravity environments and this They're other small Lego people. Yeah, in this other dimension, other world, you know. Whatever. So, because they actually do focus on that more and make it clearer, when you go back to see the original Phantasm, those things don't feel like random pieces of dreamscape. You can say, oh, okay, so they're all playing a role in this in the background of this story. Yeah. So, in that way, retroactively, I think it, it clears up some of the cobwebs in the first Phantasm movie, if you wanted that. And also by making it a very direct sequel, and like they go from the jump scare, which was supposed to be the end, evil wins, <laughs> to yeah. that night Reggie mans up, he completely levels up, <clears throat> yeah. uh, and uh, blows up his own house to help get Mike away from the 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 dark the tall man, and uh, Mike has well, to blow recuperate. Up, house like not reggie's but right no but then when he picks up mike after he's quote recovered and they're going back to the family reunion <laughs> yeah. his entire fucking family is exploded by the tall man like not yeah. since the punisher remake <laughs> <laughs> has there been such ridiculous stakes literally every person in his family is dead all he has is mike and this quest for vengeance it's, and once again, he completely believes Mike yeah. without question. Even the cheesy line, you dreamt about it before it was going to happen. <laughs> but for all of these things that I'm saying, and by the way, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, like, it, it's moving at a thousand miles an hour, at least for the first act. Uh, yeah. You got a lot of, like, narration filling you in, being introduced to characters. We have a psychic link between Mike and the, the tall man and this other woman who clearly has a psychic link between the tall man and Mike as well. And so, it's ended up like there are others. There like, are others. Do expand so, the universe. And again, that makes, makes more sense of the sort of dream logic of the first movie because he is being fucked with on a psychic level, right? Yeah. So, Liz is her name, by the way. Liz, thank you. I don't have my cheat sheet in front of me. Um, so, uh, like... The movie really moves, and it's throwing a lot of stuff at you. But, like, it's, again, for someone discovering the world, there's so much new to it that you just kind of roll with the punches, and you are impressed. And the, yep. per, the, the increase in the production values are a win. And to me, the accenting of the sort of crazy corners of the movie, while keeping the narrative focused, 
makes it feel, you know, closer to an Evil Dead universe. And not to spoil anything, but I'm a big fan of the Evil Dead universe. I think that's so, been well established by both of us on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so these are all positive this, this things. Is, this is not a secret. Yeah. This is a crazy movie. It's a narratively messy, crazy, violent movie, and I have a lot of fun with it. That's yeah. where I start with Phantasm 2. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, we have the former head of Universal Pictures, Tom Pollock, to thank for the Phantasm franchise. And I just wanted to sort of like credit this man because he's responsible. He greenlit films such as Jurassic Park, The Serpent and the Rainbow, they Live, Shocker, Dark Man, Dr. Giggles. We all remember Dr. Giggles. So he was a champion of the horror genre in the early Child's 90s. Child's Play 2 and 3. There you go. And Army of Darkness. My man. In, in no other universe would a sequel get made to this like off-the-wall, bloody mismatch of a movie such as this. Like Tom Pollock apparently was like, was like a diehard horror fan, and like this is almost a decade after a, the original film that was at best considered at the time sort of like an art house. A hit. cult underground horror hit, yes. Yeah, yeah. And he said, yes, I want more of that in Phantasm 2. I, I mention Army of Darkness because this movie exists in the comedic, violent, aesthetic world of the Evil Dead. Like, forget the out-and-out shadow from Coscarelli, that scene involving... Uh, you, you know, like with the ash, and like they're going, you know, looking through, and the, and the name is is Flash, and I'm not going to ruin it for you here. But there's a scene where, like, the sort of one of the lackeys to the to the tall men and and drones, whatever you want to call them, um, gets one of the spheres stuck in his body, yeah, and gets thrown around the room, and leaps and jumps, and it's clearly a, like a tip of the hat to the lunacy that is the Evil Dead franchise. Like, there are just. I, there's a scene at I the beginning. Shameless, but I love it so much. There's a scene at the beginning of the movie where Reggie hears Mike getting attacked, and he goes looking for bullets for his gun. And he goes to yeah. a drawer. There's nothing there. He goes to another drawer. There's nothing there. He goes to another drawer. There's nothing there. And then he opens the cupboard, and one of the dwarves has just been standing in there waiting for his cue the whole time to pounce yeah. on him. Like it doesn't make any sense, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I also. Let's let's talk about Reggie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it, it's time to talk about Reggie. I mean, we could talk about James LaGross and how he's replaced, you know, he, how he you know replaced the other actor, and that is Mike, and he's fine. Um, but he's really cut, and I love the fact that I mean, it's Reggie Bannister who plays Reggie, who self describes himself as the hardest working man in horror. I I, I gotta kind of love that just a little bit. <laughs> Well, he was sort of playing the over-the-hill middle-aged guy in the first movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but now he's asked to sort of Rambo up a little bit and be more of the heroic role. I think James LeGros does fine as the lead. Like, I didn't feel like I missed the previous actor of Mike. I, they bring him back for the next movie. Mm -hmm. um, I like because there's a the, they jump ahead very quickly in the narrative. Um, yeah. I accept Mike as a grown-up being played by a different actor fairly easily enough. It didn't. It didn't yeah. mess with me at all. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. That. Um, and once again, I, I do I, once again love that there's little winks and nods to other horror films as well. 
Like, this is another giant love letter to those midnight horror movies that Coscarelli, as a kid, grew up watching. Like, I really kind of felt like he's one of us. <laughs> so I want to say thank you, Tom Pollock, and, and thank you, Don Coscarelli, because you really made a midnight, a bizarre midnight movie. Um, it does sort of get away with sort of like the dream logic aesthetic but that is a narrative like I, I agree that the narrative is you know a lot more straightforward like A to B to C there's still a lot of dreams in yeah. this movie um, um, it's flat out telling you like this is the dream and this is like the, like the real narrative that you can trust but this time with narration explaining everything to you in a way that he wouldn't have done in the original phantasm yeah. movie the narr- yeah sometimes the narration makes you go oh no stop we get it we yeah. get it, we get uh, it. and I do think that as much as I love the movie, like the the beginning really moves and the ending really moves. There is yeah. a mid movie sag that happens. That's right. Like like the pacing of the movie is odd. That was one thing I was going to say. Like it did, it felt draggy at some points, and then it picks up again. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I also don't want to undersell the effects. K and B effects as a company did not exist yet. But yeah. the main three components, including Greg Nicotero and Kurtzman, uh, uh, yeah. worked directly on Phantasm 2. There yeah. are some great prosthetic effects in this yeah, movie. Yeah, that opening monster where they, they go to like one of the towns, uh, and, and it's a trap, basically. Where yeah, it's, this no, creature no. sort of uh, comes out of the spine, out of the back of this uh, vision yeah. of the, of, of the character, female character. Again, great effects. Um, the 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 sphere being lodged in this guy's face, like in the in the maw of his mouth, and sh- like spinning, like it's still trying to dig its way out somehow. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I I do also. Yeah. Uh, I I love the attention to details. Uh, you know. We, with the sets, with the graves and the house in the back, and you can see some some matte paintings at one point. Um, I, I love stuff like that. It's a marriage of prosthetic effects and well effects of the time, but some of them are strangely old fashioned. Yeah. Um, but some of them are absolutely real. Like there's a scene where they discover a graveyard that's been dug out. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like today they would have digitally mapped out the graveyard to look at going on and on, and it's all been dug out. But they literally did that. Like, yeah. <laughs> they put a bunch of fake headstones up, they dug a bunch of holes, and they shot it. And, like, production design on, on that level, like, across the board, good. And yeah. uh, much better acting all through the, the proceedings than in the first movie. A lot more competent actors. Yeah. The drunk priest who hangs around uh, long after he knows things have gone south. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish by staying, <laughs> but yeah. he gives us sort of the updated sphere death of this particular movie. <laughs> yeah, no, he, his character is really function as the payoff for, for, you know, bringing the sphere again. It, it follows that tradition of characters that come in and out of that movie without rise or, you know, rhyme or reason. And that, it, it, if that frustrates you, that, you know, it, it, it's here again. I also love the fact that the tall man and you know the dwarves they're colonialists <laughs> right. that that's that's the end game that made me laugh a little bit i'm sure you know it's not 
it's not I don't know whether it's a deliberate choice or not I I just what's going on with the world today I just find that sort of funny well I again I didn't think too deeply about it because that's usually a mistake with these movies yeah I know, uh, I know. Um, but one thing that bothered me even when I was a kid and it's still there doesn't doesn't hurt the movie at all but like just again narratively not making sense this hitchhiker that they pick up alchemy uh, yeah, and she turns out to be evil, of course. But yeah. we know it. We saw that Mike saw her dead on a table before she was picked up. Like, yeah. I don't know why that kept on being a surprise, but if she was evil, if she's a you know a puppet of the tall man, wh- why isn't she killing Mike in his sleep or, or Reggie in her sleep? Like, she's with yeah. them forever. And, yeah. the, like, it just yeah. doesn't make sense. Apparently, uh, she was a penthouse playmate, too, if that, if that, you know, fun fact. She weirdly looked familiar to me. I, I looked her up, and I guess she didn't do a lot of... <laughs> okay, she, I'm no, sure she did weirdly look familiar to you. Lo- legitimately, when I rewatched it, I was like, did she do something else? I, like, And I looked her up, and I didn't recognize her from anything else, but she did a lot of, uh, I think, soft, corey things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, you're, you're just digging that hole a little deeper there, Larry, but keep going. I looked her up on IMDb. What am I, the devil? Um, <laughs> I'm saying her character doesn't make sense. She does, she she is naked in the movie. She's attractive, whatever. But no, I uh, mean, that character thing. doesn't make sense at any point in the movie. But again, the like the movie, Coscarelli's like, don't think about it. Just watch the movie. And uh, for some reason, I'm giving him a pass that I give very few other filmmakers. <laughs> Well, I mean, the character is essentially to be a uh, object of desire for the the boys in the audience, including Reggie Bannister. Yeah, and, and me, I guess. So uh, you know, take it. At, you know, this is really done from a male point of view. It was done to check the boxes of sex and violence in your horror movie, I guess. But, yeah. I mean, I think it could have been handled better. Again, I think Coscarelli might be more gifted as a filmmaker than as a screenwriter in some yeah. stretches. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And, again, it's just isolated scenes and moments that make the movie really pop for me. Like the, the quadruple barrel shotgun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and like the over the topness of the, the badassery, which totally, once again, rings me some Evil Dead 2 vibes. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. No. Like... This movie is coded in the D, in the DNA of Evil Dead 2. Yeah, and if Beckman and I are putting it in the same company as Evil Dead 2, that's a fucking compliment. <laughs> okay. Yes, it is. This is a very strange madcap of a film. Yeah. Um, it. I think ultimately it, it does sort of escape the brilliance of the first, just a titch, but it's still a great horror comedy midnight movie it is very much a b movie you you know like there's just like the first one there's a little bit of it's a little rickety there's a little little bit of roughness to it but that somehow adds to the charm and again the imagination trumps all flaws there are lots of scenes in this movie that you have not seen before and that you have not seen since yeah so like i don't know what more i can say and there's, like I said, there's even like weird narrative threads that come in and out of the movie that you could honestly take out of the movie, uh, and it wouldn't really uh, you know, affect the overall story. Uh, but you're happy that it's there. <laughs> mm. 
yeah, no. Uh, the giant, it, it's great cinematic sex yeah. to me. It's great cinematic sex. There's a tall man, and he goes town to town, emptying the people of their dead and killing yeah. everybody in the town. And just yeah. like that alone was a pretty good idea. And yeah. then, you know, all of the little flourishes, the visions, the sphere, the dwarves. Well, like I, said, I, I, I do love that they sort of... Uh, expanded the universe like it's starting to become not a global threat but definitely sort of a nationwide threat yeah and uh, for some reason there's only two guys trying to stop it yeah because you know, no one knows about it well you can't uh, stop death Beckman you can't fight the yeah. clock that's true that's true phantasm the delusion of a disordered mind a phantom a spirit a ghost of his life, a young man has been pursued by a sinister force. Now he must learn the secret of the ultimate evil. Now it is time for you to come back to me. Phantasm 3, um, Lord of the Dead. Well, I, it had been a long time since I'd seen it. I only had fuzzy memories of it. And yep. I guess I will enter into the review saying I mostly had fun watching it, but mm. I am not blind to some very serious problems here. It's okay. a little bit rickety for me. It falls victim to a horror movie thing that I just don't particularly enjoy. When you okay. introduce a central character to a horror franchise, especially an R-rated horror franchise, who's mm -hmm. a, a scrappy little kid, I, ne yes. I never fear for the character. And if you're going to pull it off, and it's rarely done to me, like even the scrappy little kid, even in The Crow, she bothers me. Generally, that character doesn't work for me. And yeah. absolutely, that character doesn't work for me here. I don't okay, want to be. Well, I was going to ask that question, but all right. <laughs> I don't want to be mean to a child actor, but I'm just sort of lukewarm on his performance. So yeah. that's a strike against the movie. But generally speaking, the writing has dropped down a full letter grade, and I this might be unpopular, but I think Reggie is into the persona enough that his acting has become even lazier a little bit. Like, he's got some hard lines to sell, but, like, he's starting to shrug a little bit, and not in the charming sort of Ash kind of way, in a, like, yeah, we're getting through it kind of way. And I don't remember being distracted, like, with, like, that kind of aesthetic in any of the other Phantasm movies where I felt like the actors were a little bit uncomfortable. It reminds me at times of that, we talked about in the Halloween scene, there's a, the Donald Pleasance has this terrible line and then he runs off camera. And yes. it, it sort of reads as 
the man Donald Pleasance was embarrassed by the line and wanted to be off screen as quickly as possible more than Loomis said that stupid line like there are moments of that here for me with Reggie and that's 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 not great he's also a self-absorbed creep like yeah there is this sort of sliminess to him. He, His likability right. drops significantly in this movie for several yes. reasons. You're right to point out sort of his slimy, sort of tactless behavior with the the hitchhiker. Uh, what's the name of the woman? They, they Rocky. Is, Rocky. Uh, the character's name played by Gloria Lynn Henry. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, so many flags. A, he's terrible with her, and his treatment of her is like just a sex object, and why wouldn't she want to have sex with him? It's like a flaw in her character that she just wouldn't default sleep with him. It also just makes him like feel like he didn't pay attention during the events of Phantasm 2. The last hitchhiker that he picked up to join on his adventure against the tall man. What happened? How did that play out, Reg? Yeah. It just seems stupid. Also, Mike is kidnapped by the tall man and uh, the, the, the female lead character is killed from, from Phantasm 2. is killed at the beginning of this movie. And well, I, Ma- have a, I, I have a theory about all that that you're saying, and yes, there are clunky lines. Yeah, but um, Mike's I, I, kidnapped, I, I, that girl is dead, and Reggie does not seem to have reacted to that emotionally yeah. at all. He's right away meeting this kid and like exchanging quipping dialogues and he's on this quest to find the tall man and his buddy Mike. But like, I don't feel the stakes at all. What works in the movie is what typically works with with Phantasm is the weird stream of consciousness sort of narrative looseness and sort of the aesthetic of the ball is back, you know? People do get killed by that flying sphere and the tall man is indeed back. It is another phantasm movie, but this is the first one where the yeah the it, the flaws are definitely starting to show up more. That's where I start on Phantasm Three. All right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. I I I, I sort of feel like there's some, there's some fighting words coming on, but that's okay. okay. That's okay. Well, I started uh, saying I had fun watching it, like, and then I picked yeah. all of the stuff that was problematic. It's my no. least favorite of the three we've watched so far, handily. I will say that. Yeah, and, and, and I can agree with that as well. Um, I do have to head it to, to Coscarelli because I know he was fighting with Universal Pictures at this point, and, and it, the fight sort of, I mean, also the poor financial returns of... Yeah, they spent money on Phantasm Two, but they didn't spend any money on promoting Phantasm Two, and it got buried... Uh, and didn't like it's got a cult following but that's sort of almost code for saying it didn't make any money in its initial release right yeah Yeah. so like this was sort of dropped straight to dvd um but it does feel like a slick enough production um but i do agree like there are some clunky lines it also does reveal it's sort of science fiction hands that i at this point which i do sort of like I, I, it, it is sort of bizarre that like it's actually the spheres themselves that can collect souls and reveal like itty bitty tiny you know human brains that can be petted. And one of uh, them or, is possessed of the soul of Mike's brother. Yeah, uh, and you know there are multiple tall man, tall men, if yeah. you will, plurals. Yeah, it's just another clone. So you you will you'll keep on destroying these things, but it will keep coming. Yeah. Um, 
I, I love so I love that sort of little schlocky B movie sci-fi angle this time. Yeah, and that's uh, again the ongoing theme, nihilistic theme. Even though it's kind of a fun, goofy series, you just yeah. can't beat the tall man. The tall man is death. Everybody's yeah. gotta gotta do a dance with the reaper, you know. Yeah, he does have a weird obsession with Mike, though. Like he wants his whole, that that body whole, like with the rest. It doesn't matter if it comes in pieces. In fact, we actually see the creation of one of these dwarf-like Martian creatures. Yeah, the, we didn't see a lot of the dwarves in this one. No, but we get to see how they're made, though. Yeah. Uh, and I, I also have to give credit that way. Like, Coscarelli does open up the universe quite a bit here. It's still a phantasm movie. I, you know, don't don't get me wrong. But I just have to sort of admire this. And on the night that the Oscars are on, that we were talking about this bizarre, <laughs> bizarre, you know, B-movie. I care so stories. much more about Phantasm 3 than I do about the Oscars. I just and can't I, even say. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful thing, my friend. <laughs> That is a beautiful thing. Um, again, I feel like I've been a negative Nelly, but I'm going to continue to be a negative Nelly. All right. There's man. some like, villains that come into why this movie. The weight of the world just like just kind of like die, man. <laughs> no, I I did have fun. Like I said, I had a smile on my face, but like I, I had a problem. These three villainous characters that we have secondary to the tall man and his crew. Uh, yeah. I think they're originally there to do some grave robbing. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and uh, they get killed and then turned into zombie minions of the tall man. And yes. the female member first gets thrown out the car and completely obliterated under another car. And the other two die in, well, should have died in what was an absolutely spectacular car wreck. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but then they all show up again and are killed again in the third act of the movie. Yes. Like, what? Like, I, I guess again, it goes back to the weird dream logic of phantasm. But like, what are the rules of this world, you guys? What's well, see here? I have a theory that we can discuss. Okay. I think every time they go through those portals, and they do this every movie that they enter into another universe. It's a universe where almost everything is the same. Like a parallel dimension type that of deal. That universe can appear in this one. Okay. So that's just a theory, but I have I, I don't know. Like, even if I somehow conceded that the two guys in the car somehow survived that explosion, like, yeah. that woman got completely <laughs> obliterated <laughs> under the wheels of that car. Like, yeah, yeah, was she a, was yeah. just a stain on the highway. <laughs> like... <laughs> And again, fun stuff there. And even like, although I was like, I don't know why it couldn't have just been other minions of the tall man that they were fighting at this point in the movie. Uh, yeah. There is some memorable sort of violence in it. Um, no, I mean, I, I loved when the balls were trying to get out of the body. Even that sort of reveal that you know they could they could come on out uh, of you know the possessed animated zombies. They are literally called zombies. That at the end of the movie. And yeah. I also have to give a shout out that they let Rocky live. I yeah. think she is the only, so far, 
one of the only supporting characters that actually makes it to the movie and does not die does the smart thing and says i'm out of here yeah this was fun but no thank you yeah yeah i'm not going down this road so i have to give a shout out there well Um, and i did like rocky in all things except for reg's fucking fantasy sequence yeah yeah like, he hits on her mercilessly, and she keeps on saying, dream on, old man. Like, as well, much as like, Reg is like, in love with his own reflection... Locks the, him up, at, handcuffs him at one point, just so she can get some sleep. Exactly. He's awful. Um, yeah. And then he has this weird fantasy sequence, which part of it I like. I guess maybe he's having this dream of what his encounter with her would be like, but it's interrupted by Jody. Uh, yeah. And Jody's this emissary from the other side who's trying to Obi- give him this information. Obi-Wan. Yeah. And then he somehow manages to bring Mike back from the dream world somehow. Again, phantasm. Anytime, like, it's the word in this world, it's not the wizard did it. We just say phantasm, right? <laughs> I haven't seen things like that, but I felt bad for that actress that she had to do that scene with Reggie because gross. I, I just think that, I mean, especially since this, since this movie series got started in the 70s, there should have been like a Chickawaka soundtrack, like you know, every sort of the time of course. I get as a filmmaker, honestly, I'm not unsympathetic to like we need to check these certain boxes, and the fans yeah. want to see some some sexuality, some nudity. That's been established in the other two movies. I think yeah. they could have found a more graceful way to handle that. <laughs> yeah, no, like those scenes are clunky and uncomfortable. They're not funny. And They're not sexy, right? Because yeah. it's just, yeah. we know she's not into it. Like, uh, well, it's a fantasy scene, but like, yeah. I don't know. It makes me not like Reg. And again, the actor has, I think, he's got comfortable and that's not been good for his performance. Yeah. I mean, I do also love like the little homages, like the beginning that's with the Home Alone and the kid who's got like the clown with the spikes and... I, I do think he's also channeling Return of the Living Dead with those the, those trio characters, especially like the mean like angry stud one with like the red wife beater. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, so I you know I it, that made me smile. Where do you um, land on the kid though? Generally. Well, for every scene where I wanted to strangle him, there was a scene where I like with him. He didn't whine. <laughs> He very much felt like he was very much sort of a victim to the narrative. Um, everything, um, but he seemed way too smart for a kid as well. <laughs> I'm not a kid anymore. Yeah, uh, he didn't uh, feel battle scarred to me necessarily, and that was supposedly be his story. But he just, yeah. for me, constantly lowered the stakes. I was never scared for him. When whoever he was on screen, I, there was no jeopardy for me. You know? Well, I, I do like the fact that he is dead and gone at the end, though. Well, uh, are we, I don't know. We'll have to see where we go from the next one. All of the Phantasm movies end in a very dramatically precise cliffhanger mode where... We think yeah. that the tall man's been defeated, but no, he pounces out from a mirror from behind some glass, and he has not. And they're yeah. constantly very enthusiastic and willing to retrofit endings. So it does. It, it feels very pulpy, science fictiony, almost like a comic book movie. Dark fantasy is almost where I would put it at this point. Well, um, I'll put almost, it. 
sorry. Like it, it almost sort of seems in the sort of same league as what Hellraiser soon becomes very quickly is this sort of dark, well, Phantasm is a lot more humored where Hellraiser is very, very dark and serious and moody, but very, very dark fantasy, like not very scary at all. It, it, it feels very much like a Pulp Fiction style sci-fi novel. Right. If you ever, you know, the kind that you would find either in a used bookstore or in an airport in a lot of ways. Well, this feels a little bit more, well, it feels patchwork, but in a different way than the other ones did to me. Yeah. Where the other ones seemed like, here's a bunch of pieces of ideas. Like, he will even admit the spear came out of a dream and he just found a way to build it into his movies. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, you know what? It, 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 it sort of felt like, it felt like a Doctor Who episode. Well, that's that's kind of where you, you, I kind of felt the continuing saga of Phantasm. But unlike yeah. the other two movies, what I'm saying because they had their own sort of patchwork quality to them, I think those were pieces of ideas of dreams. This one felt like, what are things that I can put into this movie that we haven't seen in Phantasm before? They 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 feel a little bit more artificially plugged in, you know. Let's have okay. let's have a tough you know black chick with nunchucks, and and let's have a scruffy yeah. little kid. And uh, let's have an epic car wreck. And uh, like uh, these are more sort of cinematic tactics for sequels plugged in than sort of more weird, eerie, phantasm ideas. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. At the same time, you have to give credit where credit is due. Like this is a very bizarre, and it is, you know, everything in the kitchen sink, cram it all in kind kind of series. It was always... It's, it, it was always kind of, once again, a kind of like a midnight movie style horror, horror film. Um, that's what I do like about Phantasm 3, because I've been Mr. Negative this review, but okay. you, like the other two Phantasm movies, scene for scene, you genuinely don't know what you're going to get. Yes. And that is refreshing. It is not in its way, and this is what I think stands out about Phantasm for me so far, like a lot of series we've done, where it's just variations of the same thing. I love Friday the 13th, but Friday the 13th has a very clear map. Even Nightmare on Elm Street Halloween, we are very oriented in what we know to be a Friday the 13th movie. Still, I think this world, it's, it's close to Evil Dead world, but it's a more kind of, there's more randomness to it. There's, yep. there's cartoonishness in the Evil Dead world that, that, that almost acts as a safety net in that world. Whereas Phantasm sort of is much gloomier and much less concerned with continuity and things making sense. It's like a continuing nightmare that we keep revisiting. Do you ever revisit yep. locations in your dreams? Sorry, pardon? Have you ever had dreams where you like you're at a location and you feel like I've been at this location before in a different dream? Yes, yes. That's what the Phantasm series feels like to me. Like, there's this old yeah. playground I used to play at when I was a kid that was made out of stacked tires. That's how that's <laughs> that's how the the small towns Alberta did it. There's just a bunch of tires that you could climb around and jump around on. And right. I've had a couple yeah. of dreams in there where I'm at that place, but a much bigger, more elaborate version of that. And yeah. I I always recognize when that happens that oh I'm here again. And that's where it's sort of, that's the comforting, eerie feel of Phantasm that I do like watching this. Is like, I'm here again. 
I'm in Phantasm yeah. world. And even though it's rickety and kind of awkward, it does definitely have its charm. And to that, I give it all to Coscarelli. Yep. 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 Um, what? Let's let's talk a little bit more about Reggie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, do you think he's aware that he is going through different dimensions? Um. Again, it's it, it depends on how seriously you want me to take the world. Like again, he's on vendetta role mode. He, I don't even know. If, I don't know that he's aware of it. But if he was, I don't know that he would care. Okay. Like if he could spend the rest of his life just killing the tall guy over and over again, I think he's okay with that. Okay. Because um, you know he blew up his entire family in Phantasm <laughs> too. I do kind of wish the emotional states of movies, you know, had more of an effect. Like, he should be more scared for Mike when Mike is kidnapped. And he should yeah. probably be more of an emotional wreck that literally every blood relative in his life has been killed by the tall man. But I don't I think that's that. the kind of world that Coscarelli is, is exploring here. Yeah, there should be a drinking montage where he's just like every form of depravity is revealed of Reggie. We're not just talking like he's hitting on 16-year-old girls. We're talking like him sort of lying in the corner in his puddle of piss masturbating to like... I wish from... that they'd approach Reggie in a more Jack Burton way. Where <laughs> like Reggie thinks he's awesome, but he's kind of lame in a real in the real world. Like yeah. the whole big trouble in Little China kind of approach to the uh, the hero. Uh, yes. I don't like that the movies kind of want us to think Reggie is cool because especially in this movie, Reggie is not. No, he is not. Good enough. Uh, good enough. Good enough. Uh, anything about what you know? What happens to Michael? Anything about what happens to Michael? Yeah. Oh, well, well I guess that's the big cliffhanger. He's possessed and he asks uh, uh, Reggie to leave him alone. So where do we go from here? But that will be explored next week, I hope. Ah, but I'm not, not only that, but the original actors are back. Yeah, that's true. I, did, I didn't particularly miss LeGros, although I didn't think James LeGros sucked or anything like that. But like, you know, I, I like that Coscarelli is loyal to the cast. In fact... Without spoiling anything, uh, we may see this loyalty come back again in future installments. For 20 years, the secret of the spheres has remained a mystery. Now, two innocent people are about to confront the ultimate evil. Now, this won't hurt a bit. Well, maybe just a little bit. The sci-fi horror thriller with balls. Phantasm 4. Boy! Phantasm 4 Oblivion, or 
the chapter of the Phantasm series where Larry suddenly questions everything. <laughs> yep. Like, honestly, this is a weird one because a lot of it, the, the narrative is split almost in half. We have the story that's going on with Mike and the story that's going on with Reg. Yep. Neither of them are particularly great this time around. But we also have spliced into it, apparently, this recovered footage that he thought was lost, built yep. from the original Phantasm movie. Yep. I don't know if I blocked this out or, like, I, like I had no memory of this. But yep. the weakness of this one standalone entry has made me question the validity of the entire franchise. Because, I can understand that. Like... The scenes that were cut out of Phantasm, because it seems now they were lost, might have been the stuff that made Phantasm kind of make sense. So yeah. the whole like thing that I've been going on about praising the series for is its strange dream logic, stream of consciousness thing, yeah. might have been, at least in its inset, accidental. Yeah. It might be a movie that was liked for its flaws. And yeah. That sort of built within Coscarelli this idea that he could do no wrong. Yeah. And because I'm a lover of genres, I went with him a long way. I cannot yeah. go with him all the way to oblivion. Yeah. I I can't even... I'd love to describe the plot to you, but I, I can't even adequately describe... Mike goes on his own personal vision quest to try to get the orb removed from his brain. Yeah. And... Reggie, having lost his little kid's sidekick, apparently he was killed. There was a deleted or a scene written where that kid was killed, but we don't see it happen. And yeah. Reggie is neither mourning the kid's loss nor like seeming to be questioning where the kid went. He just moves on in that very Reg way. Oh, Mike's yeah. missing. Well, let's move on. Oh well, like the only time he reacted emotionally was when his entire family died, I guess, is that one over-the-top, oh-shit moment, but... Yes, but look the, how he reacted there. It was sort of like, uh. There is a, I guess, surprising scene where some spheres erupt out of a woman's breasts, and there's yeah. a, a, a scene where Angus Grimm plays a friendly person, not the tall man, and it's so weird to see him play somebody who's got warmth in him that, like, you just... It, it, somehow it doesn't doesn't compute. <laughs> yeah, but you, the movie doesn't make mean? sense to me. The movie is empty and frustrating. And uh, my first solid thumbs down of the Phantasm series so far. Yeah, that's where I start. <laughs> um, well, I think we uh, to give a little history on uh, on how Oblivion happened was that there was one Roger Avery, and for people who don't know who Roger Avery is, he's the writer-director of Killing Zoe, uh, and one half of the creative element of Pulp Fiction, uh, who also happens to be a die-hard Phantasm fan. And he wrote a script, uh, Phantasm AD, uh, something along those lines, I forget the actual title, but it's, I think it's Phantom AD something. Uh, and and Coscarelli got hold of it and really liked it, uh, but it was uh, it was going to be a big budgeted movie, and I suspect I haven't seen Ravager yet, but I suspect Ravager uh, ultimately um, that or Phantasm AD ultimately became Ravager. 
but I will but I will find out next week. Anyways, um, they went all on Hollywood to try and see if, they, if anyone would relight the film, but it was too big. Uh, too much. Uh, it was too epic in a lot of ways. They'd already spent money on Phantasm 2 and been sort of sent away reeling. So to spend money again on Phantasm 4 would see, would be a hard sell. Yeah, and let's be perfectly audience. Uh, um, obvious, let's be perfectly honest. Excuse me. The audience for Phantasm is a pretty eclectic bunch. I don't think I'm like too way off in the mark there. Um, only, only like diehard sci-fi horror fans. Uh, really would follow this series so expecting even sort of like a five to ten million budgeted movie i think would be asking too much but um coscarelli thought that he could make uh, some connective tissue uh between uh well phantasm ad because he wanted to make that the you know the the final film in the series but felt like there was too many questions still unanswered uh, so he came up with Phantasm Four: Oblivion. Was he successful? Uh, I, I would say that the film, I, the more it reveals, the more questions uh, it, it are, is asked, and you are left frustrated. Um, once again, a lot is revealed. I, I'll, I'll give the series this, that it, it doesn't shy away from revealing more and more about the universe and and the flying balls and the tall man. I mean, in this in this version now, we find out that there used to be an actual tall man. I think Joseph Morningside or Roger Morningside, I once again forget the name, was a real person around the time of the Civil War. He invented he, these we, portals and by entering through them somehow became the tall man? That's kind of what I got out of it, but I have... So many questions, um, and if you were frustrated with the dreamlike um, narrative in, in Phantasm, you're going to be very frustrated with this. Um, well, it feels I, like again, there's three narratives going on. I guess well, two with with Michael and Reggie, and then we have these flashbacks to the original Phantasm, full of scenes we haven't seen before. And yeah. in those scenes, we see essential scenes from the original Phantasm. Now, instead yeah. of Michael's brother being killed off screen and it being explained as a plot point, we see the tall man take him. Yeah. You know, now instead of there just being a nonsensical jump scare ending to Phantasm, we see that, you know, them riding around in the ice cream truck at night very bizarrely and that sort of being a weird ominous end, but like appropriate, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, like, just slapping them into... I mean, it's great that those were found and that they exist, but just slapping them randomly into this movie, they, they, they don't fit, other than it's the same actors, they don't fit. Like, it's like he was so happy to discover this lost, glorious footage that he built yeah. this the whole movie around it, and it doesn't work. I would have much rather him replug it into the original Phantasm and see what the original Phantasm was meant to be. But why would he do that when the original Phantasm is this cult-fascinated, like, item? This is why I say this 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 entry has rattled me as a Phantasm fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it does leave a lot to be explained. Um, I kind of got... It, it reminded me of one of my favorite one-act plays. I, I, I got a whole, you know, no-exit-by-Jean-Paul-Sartre kind of vibe to it where... Michael is trapped inside his own hell in a lot of ways. He can't really escape it all that much. And he's coming to the conclusion that 
his deep relations with the tall men are going to come to to like fruition. Like it's you can't escape death again. The theme yeah. that we've been talking about from the very beginning of this movie. But still, yeah. why does the tall man bother to spare Reggie at the beginning of the movie, only to spend the rest yeah. of the movie trying to kill Reggie? Doesn't make yeah. any sense. They don't try to make that any sense. What does, like, the whole vision quest with Michael talking to his ghostly brother. His brother is really good and helpful until he's not. Like, if he's an agent of the tall man, or if he was going to eventually attack and kill Mike, why all the subterfuge? Why all the lead-up? And again, typically we'd say, it's phantasm, man, just roll with it, it's dream logic. But no, like, I feel like this was a conscious effort to, like, possibly overcorrect for the kind of goofy adventure feel that was going on in Phantasm 3. I think he wants to get back to the sort of mystery and the horror and and, and kind of overcorrect it in in that direction. Yeah. Uh, we also find out that time is also another element that is very much a factor in this film. Every single time that the that that Mike goes through the portal, um, they can land in you know the same place, but you know at different time altogether. So there is a time travel element to it now. Um, you can get frustrated with that. I started to really scratch my head. And can you explain the ending to me? <laughs> Well, I'll give you this. Like, it, it, it doesn't go with your typical, they've defeated the tall man. And then all of a sudden, splash, like you jump through a pane of glass, pull somebody into darkness. It looks to me like Mike is dying, and Reggie's following the tall man into the portal to try and stop that from happening. But yeah. Mike's laying there resigned and almost ready to embrace his death because none of this makes any sense to him anymore either. And he just yeah. wants it to be over. And frankly, yeah. really, where I stand, I'm right there with him. Yeah, yeah. And like, why does the tall man end up killing Jody then? Like, there's a scene where it seems uh, what, like Michael is tied up and Jody and the tall man you know, uh, come. They're in their, their lair, whatever. And all of a sudden the tall man grabs the sphere and like shoves it in the Jody's chin. I don't know. Like, because it was shocking because maybe Jody was at war. I mean, at the end, it seemed like when, when he attacks his brother and tries to kill him, like that officially makes Jody on the side of the bad. But obviously, yeah. he had enough defiance in him to incur the wrath of the Talmud. It doesn't make sense. This is my number one complaint about this whole movie. It doesn't make sense. Also, we yeah. get to see Reggie being a slimy bastard again. And again, it makes him less likable. And I, I hate to be picking on this guy, but again, once again, his performances just don't seem to be improving over time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, it, I do have this theory, though, and maybe this is, uh, it, it, it's proven in the movie, but I think, like, why is the tall man obsessed with Michael? Do you know? Well, it's tied up in his origin, I guess. Yeah. He knows that, that Michael has to play his role in, in in either inspiring the tall man to create this device or, um, you know, convincing the tall man that other universes exist. And without Mike traveling through the different universes to that point in time, that might not have happened. So he is the own cause of the tall man, maybe kind of, sort of. But it's really fucking sloppy. Like, 
like you never want to get stuck with time travel that always gets weird but like if the tall man knows somehow that Michael is instrumental in the tall man's own existence Michael has to live to a certain point and I think what this movie is suggesting it's to the point where he meets that Jebediah dude whatever the the friendly version of Angus Scrim yeah and that somehow inspires the that scientist to perfect his portal or whatever the fuck it is but again yeah. is he a mad scientist is he an alien is he interdimensional does it matter well I think it matters to phantasm fans I don't know like this like this this is tough for me because <sighs> this film obviously demands your attention it's it, it's not like say a Friday the 13th or a Halloween where you could turn your brain off and you basically know where the store is going a B and C and if there's any surprises you're you're shocked where this you know it, it's trying some grand things and I almost don't want to punish it for it like a lot of people it's not like any other horror movie and that is true I will give you points for that and for that's true of the entire Phantasm series it's very much its own thing and I respect it for that but like I say no, none of the branches of this tree pay off for me it doesn't even really pay off in the gore that much for me yeah but yeah it, it, well it's also the smallest budgeted uh, of the franchise um, it, this film even costs less than the original uh, Phantasm uh, they had to shoot some of this out in a desert somewhere yeah. because just because they just didn't have the money. It's also the most talky of the series. Yeah, they wanted to be a more meditative, anguish sort of psychological pain type of horror. Yeah, yeah. So, and I kind of wonder if that's also a budgetary reason as well. Um, it's like I don't know, man. It's like watching two thousand and one in some ways. Like, there's a film where. There, it also has a bit of a dream logic kind of quality quality to it. It doesn't spoon feed you the answers, and you you leave the film with more questions than answers, and kind of go, huh, what? Yeah, but I didn't walk away from Phantasm before. I'm sorry, I didn't walk away from it like in awe of the universe and my tiny no. place in it. You know, I don't I don't even want to begin to compare 2001 to Phantasm for. No, I, I, that 2001 is a far better film but I, how I'm re referencing or, or, or comparing it is that it's a kind of film where the narrative, it's not spoon fed right? where it, there are more questions asked than answered and you leave the film kind of going, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does well, this mean? And I will and, say that I kind of respect to a degree, at least when I know the director has a master plan if yeah. the director is okay with the audience being lost for a while, I yeah. just like there to be a payoff, you know? Yeah. And I really didn't feel like any of it. I know we're still dream logic phantasm world, but at no point did anything work for me or make sense even a little bit. Like, aha, that now I understand why. Yeah. You know? Uh, there was no... And then, without... I didn't have that. I didn't have your typical visceral sort of uh, violent, you know, horror movie gore. And yeah. None of the fun that was certainly present in two and three, if not in one. Oh yeah, I know the fun is gone. The homages are gone. Uh, all the things that were that are sort of used to being a phantasm film, they're not here. Like this is pure straight narrative expanding the universe, and maybe that's a couple of things that are missing. A 
couple things that is missing from this film that the previous films had was there was a, a, a certain lunacy to it. And I'm not saying there isn't lunacy to this film, but yeah, there was a kind of giddy joy to this, right. uh, to, to the last films, where this was, we are trying to expand the universe, here we go. Um, I agree with you, though, that it is frustrating, and it does sort of collapse on itself. Um, it feels like a, it feels very much like the meat of a sandwich, yeah. and we're missing like the top slice of bread and and the bottom slice of bread. And it would be and, a significant weight, by the way, after this movie for Ravager, yeah, for fans. So like for a long time, this was where we left things. Yeah. So yeah, and, I I think Ravager is gonna have to suck pretty hard to out suck four for me, but that's what I'm like. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit disheartened by this chapter, as I keep saying. Yeah, well, I definitely, I, I feel frustrated as well, but I'm frustrated because I kind of enjoyed the first three. Yeah. And, 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 and admire that it is really, like, its own entity. Yeah. Like, there are, like, can you compare the Phantasm series really to any other film series? You I can't, can't. But it's feeling more like a happy accident than a work of a deliberate, you know, horror genius. Yeah, no, and I can buy that too, especially since it's been revealed that Phantasm was supposed to be a one and done. And yeah. then. This all know. just happened for them. Like, people wanted more Phantasm, so Coscarelli brought it, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I guess good for him. I don't yeah, have well, anything else to say. <laughs> well, I, I do think it sort of lies where this was supposed to, like, this was, you know, the prologue uh, of another film. Right. Like, it was supposed to, you know, feed in certain holes that uh, the last Phantasm film allegedly was supposed supposed to ask. So it does. Like, it's, it, it feels not complete it does start right at the end and like clearly the, the tall man has plans for Reggie as well like every everyone is supposed to die at a specific point I guess you know? but uh, yeah I for guess. this particular chapter there's no beginning there's no middle there's no end yeah 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 um, as for Reggie being sort of a slimy you know once again and either he's got the worst memory in the world or he's just an outright idiot or my theory is is that every single time michael goes to the portal i think it's a reset for the other characters they're aware of that something has happened but at the same time i think it, it i don't know uh, it feels <laughs> like all of a sudden rich's mind gets wiped a little bit why else does he keep on p- picking up good-looking female hitchhikers wanting to sleep with them, and once again, it's a trap set by the tall man. Yeah, no, he never learns any lessons, and I think by by trying to justify it through the portal usage or whatever, I think that's us working way too hard to defend Coscarelli. He just yeah. needs there to be a hot chick in each movie. That's, that's, that's what it comes down to. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing. I'm oblivious to oblivion. I agreed. I can't tell what's real anymore. So I wander, following the tall man's path of destruction. One eye out for those spheres, and the other for him. 
He is clearly delusional. You're not even real. You're my bad dream. Stay out of my way. Well, it really is an amazing story. Epic, actually. So, Phantasm V Ravager. The final installment... I assumed, or I thought, or was told of the Phantasm franchise. Okay. Um, I think it is a definite improvement on Phantasm Four. Yeah. I think the fact that John Cuscarelli, or Don Coscarelli got uh, uh, someone else to direct it maybe put some energy into the project. Uh, like uh, the guy was really passionate and excited about trying to make the best darn Phantasm movie he could. Coscarelli's still producing, still co-writing, still like absolutely on board creatively. But I think, I mean, and a lot of times I'm a traditionalist, I say, you know, stick with your stick with your main creative component. I think in some ways that helped them with this movie. But uh, I think, I don't know if it was too ambitious for its budget or if just on certain days they had more available to them than others. Because I found another one of these ping-ponging sort of things where there were scenes that I thought were really well executed. And yeah. then there were these other scenes which I did not think were very well executed at all. Okay. And as standing as the last entry of the series, is, which is, I believe it is supposed to stand as... Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I guess in consistent to phantasm, you know, lore, it doesn't really leave any kind of satisfying conclusion. You know, the tall man isn't defeated, you know, and uh, not at all. there's no resolution. There's no happily ever after. Things just go on. And I think arguably worse than that, there's a bit of sequel baiting. And if you know you're not going to make a sequel... Why in the fucking world would you sequel bait? <laughs> so for all the things wrong with it, like it's weird that I'm going to be overall, I guess, sort of shruggingly positive. But uh, I think that the second half of the Phantasm franchise has been considerably poorer than the first. That's where I start with Ravager. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I, I want to start, I guess, my review with a quote from the often forgotten underground beat poet Frank Sinatra (laughs) and he once beautifully wrote I traveled each and every highway and more Mm -hmm. much more than this I did it my way well as I said it is consistent to the phantasm universe I'm not giving it I'm not docking points for that I guess I naively thought that if you went into something knowing for a fact, final chapter, we would see something in the way of resolution. Okay, well, once again, expectations. And I think you forgot you were watching a Phantasm movie because <laughs> I kind of think the ending is a... Per- well, perfect, is I think, is, is too much. But I think it is the 
suitable it's a suitable ending there was no way that this was going to end up all neat and, and bow tied because the first film wasn't like this mm-hmm. um once again and it, i think it did confirm my theory that every time someone goes through the portal maybe not a reset but you're jumping through dimension and time there's they're exploring the multiverses which is why they've been able to kill the tall man several times but he always yeah. comes back they yeah. did kill that version of the tall man but as we find out there are billions and billions of them but presumably would that mean there's billions of billions of Reggies and billions of billions of Michaels and yeah. this war is going on, on in multiple different dimensions and in some places our boys win and in some places the evil wins uh, oh, I, well, see, once again, I think you're, you're, you see the, the tall man as evil. Right. And you, I, you, I, could, I could see why, but at the same time, and I think of the quote from, you know, the, the, surpassly, the, the, um, the superior Adrian Lyon film, Jacob's Ladder. If you're dying uh, and you made your peace, then you, uh, no, that's what, how's it go? If you're dying, and you're not ready to go. I'm paraphrasing now. You'll see. You see devils you, tearing your life apart. No way. But if you've made peace with the earth, then it's angels coming to free you. Well, I think we've drastically differently interpreted the movies <laughs> because I did not think that at all. To me, the tall guy was okay, sort of like Coscarelli time, said. In none the, of this is reality. No. <laughs> none of the, None of this is reality. But anyways, you got to give it to Don Coscarelli. Like for a span of really three decades. And without a studio funding him for some of the movies, he made a perverted, twisted, vile, creative, dream logic, action, horror, science fiction comedy. Yeah, like it's it it, both, it, it does have everything series. going on at once. But the fact that two people can watch the same five movies and have drastically different interpretations, that, that kind of puts us in Lynch territory for me. It means so much, it means nothing, you know? Well... Would you agree that the the makers of Phantasm they're asking you to use your noodle a little bit? Like it's not like like this is not like, like a Friday the Thirteenth or uh, you know a Halloween even where it's got a free flowing narrative arc and nothing is truly what it seems. It's got um, this, this sci-fi fantasy horror all in one sort of barrel kind of thing going for it. Yeah, but what I resent is like. If they, if they wanted me to try and figure it out. I just go back to what Coscarelli said about the original Phantasm, right? Yep. The tall man is death, and no matter what, no matter how cool or badass, no matter how cunning, you can't beat him. The tall man's going to win. That's yep. where he started with Phantasm, and I think yep. that's where he ended with Phantasm. Like, to yeah, me... That, that's why I'm kind of surprised that you were expecting some sort of big resolution. But in, still, in some ways, you get it. Like, I mean... Like Reggie actually gets a narrative arc where we feel empathetic towards him. Well, let's talk uh, plot uh, then. <clears throat> I do love the, the, the plot point where the tall man is literally trying to convince him that he's got dementia to make him forget of all the struggles. You know, he, for, for some reason, he's still obsessed with Michael. And although the reason given, unless I'm missing something, is kind of lame and pathetic, that he just wanted, like, he just wanted a foe something to play with is essentially what he describes his obsession with Michael but everything else from the plot line involving where you know he wakes up in that old the old folks home 
and is trying to be, and is being tricked into thinking he's got dementia to him leaping back to another sort of Terminator-esque post-apocalyptic uh, future. Uh, we, we also get we get some homages back you know, where characters called there's a character called Chunk who comes in and out of the story without any sort of rhyme or reason. But like, I do, but I do like the fact that well, Ridgely finally, as a lead, gets his due. He's not as creepy as this time around. Yeah. In fact, his I, acting I, is improved, and he's less of an asshole in this movie. Um, again, I think our interpretations of what's going on are vastly different. Um, to me, like we're seeing him jump through all these different realities, and this is how he spent the last thirty years of his life. Yep. going from portal to portal, reality to reality. In one of these things we keep seeing him, he's like this Mad Max who's wandering the desert, getting into yep. these weird I encounters. The, I love the opening scene of this movie, actually. Yep. And then in another scene, he's an old man at a convalescent home being visited by Mike. And all of these stories are just like being repeated to Mike as like, uh, like some crazy senile person re- recounting mm-hmm. something that never happened. And then in another, yet another parallel universe, it's a far distant apocalyptic future where he and Mike are fighting against the, the tall man together. And in a way, that's the best case scenario for him. None of those realities are credible, but all of those realities exist. At least that's my interpretation of it. Well, the tall man is trying to get Reggie to, he's giving a sort of Faustian sort of deal. And he's waiting, and once again, like, this is one of the things that made me sort of curious about the movie was, for the tall man to truly take someone, like, there's a time element to it. Like, he can't take them specifically at a certain time, even when the characters are at their weakest. I mean, he could have easily taken Reggie when he had him against the wall with a whole bunch of balls. Yeah. Uh, and says it makes sense yet. for the Mike story. It doesn't for the Reggie story. Okay, uh, because won't give him Michael and Jody. Like that. That was that was the the deal. Was that Reggie wanted Michael and Jody, uh, to, and he would he succumb to the tall man. Right. And the tall and the tall man was like, yeah, no, that's not that that's not the deal I want. I can wait. Um, we're never really given a good reason. for all of that at all with Michael it makes sense because Michael starts uh, exploring the different dimensions and he meets the tall man before he's a tall man and one gets the feeling that if the tall man didn't meet an interdimensional traveler he might not have finished his invention so the reason the boy was important is because the boy had to create the tall man essentially he couldn't harm the child because the child had to grow up to give him his own origin story Reggie okay. has none of that. Reggie like, has yeah, none Jeff, of Jeff that. Jeff Morningside creates the, the, the technology, yes? Yeah. And then thus goes to, and is it Mars? Did they come out and say that it's Mars or it's just a planet? I didn't hear anything about Mars, but <clears throat> it doesn't matter. It's It could be Mars. It could be a parallel dimension. It yeah. could be both. Anyway, Jebediah travels to the tall man's planet and then was then you know murdered and, and cloned. And thus starts the sort of gateway towards Earth. Yeah. Again, um, we don't know any of this. This is what we've pieced together, right? <laughs> well, from the past movies and this. Yeah. Um, 
Coscarelli, like a lot of his fellow genre directors, is a big fellow sci-fi nerd. And one film that a lot of these directors, John Carpenter is also homage and, you know, beyond tipped his hat, has, you know, stolen the name of the movie as one of his, uh, when he's one of those ghost writers. Uh, the Coen brothers do this as well. When they sort of either ghost edit or ghost, uh, you know, screenwrite the movie, they have their own credit that they get. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, one of them is Quatermass. There, uh, there's a famous BBC radio and film series. I don't want to get too much into into this because we will come back to this movie in a later rank and review episode. But there's this film called Quatermass in the Pit, and in a lot of ways, that's what this film series is. Uh, a lot of genre directors uh, will steal from this infamous 1960s-some horror film that involves an alien gateway and uh, that can lead to an alien invasion. Uh, Prince of Darkness had borrowed this idea. Um, anyways, whenever there's a movie with some sort of interdimensional or alien gateway, they're, they're all tipping their hand to Quatermass in the pit. And Phantasm is no different. In fact, it is kind of the movie where... I think Coscarelli sort of was, you know, is answering some questions about the movie that the, that old movie asked about the aliens. Where did they come from? What were they wanting? Blah, blah, blah. See, and, and the way I see it is that the Phantasm series has just basically become a playground to do whatever you want within a fantastic, sort of a fantasy, horror, and sci-fi genre. But I think looking for any continuity is a fool's errand in this series. Oh, no. And like we said this, like, even from the first review, that anyone looking for a straight-through narrative and not have that, that doesn't make sense logically. Yeah. You are going to bang your head. Which so, is why I'm saying if there's nothing to figure out, then they can't be teasing us intellectually. It uh, becomes a light I, show I, then. Uh, I think you can do red herrings. But you know what this movie is also? It's fun. Yeah, which was deeply missing in part four. Yeah, it moves for a dream logic film. I know it's got CGI blood, I know, grown, yeah. and it flows a bit plenty. But, like, once you go through those, like, those gates, at least once, I do think you're forever doomed to the sort of Kafka-esque Terminator apocalypse wasteland once again. Yeah, and once again, we got random characters coming in and out of the story, but some of them are familiar. Uh, Rocky, those from... If I could remove one thing from this movie, it would be Rocky. Okay. Why in the fucking world is that a post credit sequence? As a post credit sequence? I don't know. It's like, if you're going to bring Rocky back, and it's the last Phantasm movie, like, why isn't she one of the people who rescues him, at least, in the future apocalypse? Why isn't she integral to the park? Like, that's the thing I'm talking about. That's like they're teasing another sequel that they know isn't going to happen. Did she not want to work with Reggie Bannister? There had to be a reason. Like, if you're going to use her that sparingly, and, like, it, it, it reminded me of the post credit scene at the end of one of the Child's Play movies where Andy yeah. was there, but at least in the following movie, Andy was there. It was like, here comes Andy, you guys. But this movie, it was completely unnecessary, completely superfluous, and completely anticlimactic to me. Uh, wow, you and I, we did see different movies then. Yeah. Um, what What's she doing in the movie? Tell me then. <laughs> Tell me what she's doing there. Um, she's trapped in that sort of interdimensional hell. In fact, you could argue that... She's new Reggie. Pardon? She's new Reggie. Yeah. 
Which would be great if we were going forward with her in the other Phantasm sequels, but we're not. This movie has a habit throughout the entire time where characters inexplicably come in and out for no reason, uh, and you can either fight the movie and wag your finger at it or just accept it. But But the movie was over. Like, the credits had actually started to roll. I agree it's odd, but it's it's not something that made made me wag my finger because... I had accepted of I accepted it because of the rules that this, the film series had set before. You shouldn't be shocked to know that this actually started up started off as a web episode series. It was supposed to be like ten minutes every single week they would release. It was right. supposed to be for a sci-fi channel. Okay, so, so um, that, that starts to make more sense. And then they just cut it together into a movie. <clears throat> Again, I think that I I can't respect phantasm intellectually as much as i used to i think it's much more of a light show much closer to like the evil dead nightmare in elm street universe than it wants people to think it is i don't think there's anything wrong with being part of the evil dead nightmare in elm street universe by the way but i think that the intellectual component is largely bogus well well i'll disagree but okay i agree that this is it's a fan service film this is a, a film series for its unique fan base. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, this was a very small budgeted movie, and I love the fact that it still maintained its small budget while trying to be like an epic film. If, if you if you look back, with the exception of the second one, all of these movies had hugely small budgets and ran with what they had. So I do like the fact that they, even though they were going with this an epic style kind of ending uh that it was still a very small uh, budgeted oh yeah this one was micro budget and it, it, i wouldn't have it any other way including the ending yeah. um I'm, I'm glad that good does not triumph over evil that um well it, it reminds me of like the stand or the novel of the stand where you get the feeling like this goes on it will happen again and again and again yeah um, so it, it, it doesn't it neither has an ending nor a beginning really it's just the state of things um, well I was not surprised at all and the more I thought about it I thought that is sort of the most appropriate ending they could have where you do get to say goodbye to essentially the three characters Reggie um, Reggie gets an ending and it's yeah. Reggie's he movie dies. He, he dies within uh, the, the sort of dimension jumping yeah um, and he gets sort of to pick his own happy ending, or we get to pick our own happy ending for Reg. Yeah. Um, but uh, with Angus Grimm being done, I don't see a comfortable way to move forward with the franchise. No, no. And let, 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 let the series end. Yeah. Let it be done for what it is. Um, I guess I sort of leave the film thinking that they did this for five movies, and the, and and the cost really made made his series his way there was i mean there was a couple compromises when with the second one but this is all cox Corelli. and even though he got a director uh a different director for the second one like name like how would you compare the series it, like off the top of your head what other film series or how would you describe this film series in a sentence I would say it's a fun popcorn sort of horror fantasy with a little bit of sci-fi if you want with the interdimensional stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But like, l- it never gives you sure footing. You never quite know where you are or no, what to no, expect. Once again, I'm and surprised. that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, like I said, I just think that the sort of arty intellectual layer on it is not 
there's no through line to it. It's not really thought out. It's the illusion of that, uh, it, sort of as another thing to sort of dress up the franchise. I think if we're if if, if it's honest with itself, it's really at its best when it's Reggie throwing one-liners and you know the quadruple barrel shotgun and, yeah, yeah. and and like the sort of visceral horror stuff. That's what does well, and that's I think what draws fans to it. No, there's an immense silliness to this, and I'm glad they they ended it on this note. Yeah, I love the fact that. You know, he's looking for his 1972 black Huda, whatever kind of card it is. I actually had it written down here because I wanted this to be impressive for any Phantasm fan. Right. And, and uh, he gets picked up hitchhiking by a guy who's stolen his own Huda. card. There you go. Yeah. And, of course, he you know, meets up with that random stranger. I, I loved all the setup of that. Yeah. Um, and it feels very much like those Saturday afternoon serials that Coscarelli grew up with. So. And the fifth chapter is energized. It keeps you engaged. Whether or not you like how it resolves, you want to see how it resolves. I think yeah. it's a real, like, uh, sort of vindication for the actor playing Reggie. I've been kind of hard on him. I think he does the job here. I think this is a really good way to finish that character and it kind of I was starting to not like Reggie and this kind of brought yeah. Reggie back for me a little bit so I, yeah. I appreciated that about it like all of the like the entire franchise it's kind of rickety but yeah. I think like I'm glad that it ended on this foot than like on a, on a weaker one that's all, all right. you know. I do have a question because I, I I do have this theory that all the women that Reggie picks up like that's a deliberate ploy <laughs> by Coscarelli do you think that all of them are some sort of version of the Lady in Lavender? Well, except for Rocky, obviously. Yeah, but Rocky was never there to seduce. In fact, Rocky rejects any sort of advancements right off the bat. Yeah. Where these all ladies were, like, again, coin, whatnot. I could pretend that there was, like, some sort of literary or intellectual line to it, but honestly, I think sex and violence is part of the ingredients when you're making a horror movie. No, I, I, and I'm not trying to make it sound like this is, like, the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. Right. But you do, would you admit that there's a little more in the meat to chew here than, say, other again film series absolutely and again it but it was part of the thing that became problematic with reggie because he kept on meeting these really attractive women in the middle of nowhere yeah. in a world unpopulated by anyone but him he would meet a beautiful woman who was interested in hanging out with this bald asshole <laughs> right yeah. like so uh the fact that he didn't see into these traps or see through these things eventually kind of got irritating to me but it's part of the aesthetic of the world and i think uh, especially this last movie, the fact that he is dimension jumping does erode his sanity. So we can plausibly believe that he's an old man, you know, going crazy, or we could plausibly believe that all this really happened, and we can plausibly believe both. Like, everything is on the table here. Um, yep. But the fact that you can interpret it however you want is is what it is. I think that what's going to make people come back to Phantasm are little dwarf monsters and the sort yeah. of fun, no, no. fun, no. visceral, violent energy of the movies. No, I agree. I agree that one of the, the key, ele key elements that is positive for Phantasm is this lunatic, off-the-wall um, sex and violence. Like, like there are still some, oh, there are some homages in this movie that when we're there in the sort of exposition-heavy uh, fourth film. Um, <laughs> and I, like I said, I, I, I do think, yeah, I agree that there is a, an off-the-wall lunatic lunacy logic to this movie that 
is very attractive. So agreed. We have a special guest in the room. G is going to be here to witness to see if his championship is actually taken from him. My guess, I'm willing to guess, is that Gareth, uh, G, you've seen none of the Phantasm movies. I've seen one of the Phantasm movies. Ooh. Ooh. Which one? Which one? I assume the one that was called Phantasm. Okay, well played. Yeah, that, well, there's five of them. And, Thank goodness for that. And uh, uh, Lee and I have now reviewed all five of them, and Lee is going to rank from his least favorite to his favorite phantasm. All right, let's hear it. Well, I do think it's suitable that he's here to witness, to witness the downfall. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm going to lose. All right. So, uh, at number five, not six. So, I will say that, I, you know, I, in, in some sense, I'm kind of cheating because... Wouldn't it to like officially dethrone? Wouldn't it be six? Well, I mean, it's just there was only five in the series, so we're doing five this year. I figure if you rank all five together, I'll give you the champion. All right, with an asterisk. Same things if like when we did uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, right, or or the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, it made it harder to win, but still, like, doesn't matter if we rank five movies or if we rank twelve. If we if we match completely, you win. Nice. All you have to do is just agree with me completely. <laughs> do, do you have your tissue ready there? Okay, let's do it. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, the worst Phantasm film at number five is the exposition-heavy Phantasm for Oblivion, which should be called I'm Oblivious to Oblivion because it's just lots of O, oh, uh, as in oh my God. So, like, Phantasm Four. Yeah. Number five. At number four, I have uh, Phantasm. Is it Revenger? Am I saying that correctly? Ravager. Ravager. I, I ravish you. <laughs> I ravish. I ravish you with my words. So Phantasm. Ra- I can't even say it now. Ravager. Ravager. <laughs> yeah, close enough. We got it. <laughs> uh, I'm embarrassed. All right, at number three, I have Phantasm Three. Right. Lord, Lord of the Dead, which makes me want to get up and jig. All right, and this is this is where I, I went back and forth. I went ah ah. But this is the one. This is the one. <laughs> at number two, I'm putting the original Phantasm. I do think it's iconic. It introduced the uh, the tall man, um, and in some ways, it's not fair that it's number two. But I went with my heart, so at number one I have Phantasm 2. It's just a wide, it's sort of the epitome of what a Phantasm film is, minus I mean the different casting. It's still got that wild zany dream logic. It's by far like the most over the top. It it had the back end of a studio, whether I was, you know, good or bad. 
it, it's just a giant it lives in the same universe as Evil Dead and when it does that you sir have my attention and respect and that's how you earn first place so says so you're saying your rank is Phantasm 4, Phantasm 5, Phantasm 3, Phantasm 1, Phantasm 2. That's how, that's how she lays. That is how the renewed rank and review champion, Mr. Lee Beckman, has chosen to make his rank. Motherfucker. <laughs> You've won it. You've got your yeah! championship. <laughs> He's back. Take it. Take it. <laughs> Now smell it, now take it. I thought there'd be tears. <laughs> yes. It's so, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's weird that G would be here to witness this, but uh, appropriate somehow. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I agree with you. Uh, Phantasm 4 Oblivion is easily the worst of them. It was the only one that I was genuinely bored in. It was like they forgot the good parts in that movie. There was... A lot of talking about horror movies and a lot of talking about plot, but not enough happening to warrant, like, yeah. And also, like, with them splicing in old footage that was deleted from the original Phantasm, it was the movie that made me start questioning the whole series. Like, it was just like... I, I, I noticed that you started to become bitter to the series at that point. Yeah, it did It did change things for me. Like, it, it, it brought things down a notch. I was kind of... I was having much more fun with it until that, that bump in the road happened. Yes, uh, Phantasm Ravager. 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 I, I, I'm not saying it's a good title. I'm just saying that's what the title is. Uh, yes, it's, it's redemption for our main character, Reggie, whose character had become increasingly problematic. They gave him a win for his final story and for the final, you know, such as it is i did have my issues with it and i got into that in the review but like it it definitely repaired a lot of the damage that was done (laughs) by the fourth movie the third movie like uh that's all the way in third place it feels like it should be further down the list like in a lot of ways it's a little bit too funny and a little bit too goofy and a little bit too cute in a lot of ways to be a phantasm movie but the fun is still there i think that's what i really resented about phantasm 4 there was like no fun anymore (laughs) uh phantasm 1 is sort of the quote classic the one that started it all but I can't help but think that a lot of this much like I feel about Texas Chainsaw Massacre was like there was a lot of luck involved in this magic potion like the 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 things the, the way that he was forced to recut his movie because he lost footage and the way it became this weird horror art piece almost accidentally somehow made it fall into popularity and become this franchise that he never intended like yep. <clears throat> there's something accidental about Phantasm, which is charming, but which just, I don't know. Uh, Phantasm 2 is the same guy several years later, and they actually gave him money. The most money he's ever had to play with with this genre. And uh, he sort of perfects the universe and gives it some focus and makes it a little bit less, uh, you know, arty and more just Evil Dead, as you said so well when you ranked it. So congratulations, Mr. Beckman. Once more, the once and future king of ranking review. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, first of all, I just want to, you know, thank all, you know, who made this possible, you know, first of all, like God, so I want to thank God, I want to thank my family for, like, supporting me during this, like, rough time where I had, the, like, the throne gloriously stolen from me. Um, oh, you feel thank- bad. Matt had just got it. 
Matt was 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 champion for I think two episodes, and then G took it from him. So he was kind of pissed about that. I I, I want to thank Baby Jesus. Um, you you know, should because, thank Don Coscarelli. <laughs> yeah, and Coscarelli, because um, now we won't have to hear Baby Jesus cry anymore. That <laughs> the throne has come home. We, we weren't able to match on Leprechaun, but damn it, we made it work for Phantasm. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. G-Money, uh, any thoughts? Um, I just want to extend my congratulations to you. It was obviously well-earned. And I will go out of my way to find a copy of Phantasm 2, <laughs> just to confirm that uh, it is, in fact, a better movie than the original Phantasm. Uh, I, I think it, 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 it's a great Saturday night. If you Safe do. bet. Safe okay. bet. All right. Safe bet. Well, I will do that. I will do that for you, champion. Oh, champion. Well, well, well thank you, uh, great. Uh, thank you for your grace, of which I have none. I appreciate that. Yes, Lee, magnanimous in victory, <laughs> yes. and G, very gracious in yes. <laughs> We'll call that an ending for that one. Boom. So this is the second time I've tried to bank an episode with Lee, and he goes ahead and he wins it. He becomes the rank and review champion, and it would be, you know, not fair to wait the episode and, you know, give G a few extra episodes as reigning champion uh, when, you know, he hadn't earned those ones. This is the order they were recorded in. Lee went and became rank and review, review champion anew. So congratulations, new reigning rank and review champion. So that's fun. Uh, heads up, the next episode, 191, will be the second bunker episode. It's going to be on sequels, and I hope that doesn't send any people running away with their tail between their legs. I realized my first bunker episode was my weakest bunker episode, and uh, I have some special guests coming to help me out. The uh, films are more interesting in their badness. Even when they're bad, they, they have some more. I can have some more fun with it. So, please give the bunker episodes another chance. We'll be talking to you in two weeks. If you need something to help fill your ears in the meantime, check out Friendly Podcasts, The Shelf Shedding Movie Show, The Terror Table, A Lifetime of Hallmark, and Cobwebs of Gothic Horror Podcast. I am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. And I really appreciate you listening to my podcast. Please tell a friend.